Welcome back, students. Today we're going to have our second lecture on Virgil's Aeneid, book one, and parts, the first part of Burke's book two, setting up our very famous and uh, much looked forward to lecture on the entirety of book two on Wednesday. We will talk about, and you will finally get to see, the fall of Troy, which we're expecting at the end of the Iliad, but which does not happen in the Iliad. It happens rather many hundreds of years later, 700 years later or so, in the Aeneid. So, a quick review. Remember that this poem is a song about a song, or rather a poem, about mankind, human nature, and also arms and war, as if part of human nature is certainly war. Who is the name of, and let's ask some questions, what is the name of the divine antagonist, the person who will dislike the Trojans and will be hounding them all the way across the world, Asia, Europe, and even Africa? Yes. Juno. And which Greek goddess was Juno? Yes, Hera. Very good, and they have very similar temperaments. Who will be the divine protagonist, or rather, who will be the helpful divinity who will want to help the Trojans because her son is the leader of the Trojans? Yes, Venus. Venus. And what was her Greek name? Aphrodite. Aphrodite. Very good, very good, very good. And so Juno goes down to talk to which god of the winds in order to get him to release those winds to cause a storm to knock Aeneas off course so like Hera did with Heracles in the Iliad, or in the time before the Iliad that's reported there. Yes? Iolus. Very good. Anybody remember which three winds specifically are released by Iolus? The south, the southwest, and I think it's the southeast as well. Yes? I want their names, though. I want their names. Not what they're the winds of. Yes? Africus. Very good. Notus and Eurus. Very good, very good, very good. Those winds hit, they destroy how many of Aeneas's ships? How many did Aeneas have? How many get destroyed? Yes? Very good. He had ten, at least when we started with him, and three were destroyed. Something to keep in mind is that means that he has seven ships. And he has been on the sea for seven years. He will soon get off the sea. He has to make a couple stops first. He has to go to Sicily. He has to then make it to Latina, or Latium with King Latinus. And then he has to fight a three-year-long war. So he will have to spend ten years finding home. And then he'll die three years later under obscure circumstances. Ah, that said, what is the name of the rocks? The sacrificial rocks on which Aeneas's ships are destroyed. Yes? The altars. The altars. That's a pretty creepy name for some ships. I would not, or for some rocks, I would not, if I were a ship-going sort of individual, want to ride by rocks called the altars, because probably I would be thinking what would happen to me. That I might get crushed against them. Sort of like a skill in Charybdis situation. Yes, in any case, in any case. Aeneas then shows himself for who he is. He feels terrible in his heart, but he puts on a brave face. What is it that he goes with bow and arrow to kill seven of to provide food for his people? Yes? Stags. Stags, very much a kingly sort of animal. And what is the name of the god who then gets angry at the winds or this happened slightly before. What is the name of the god who chastises the winds for outside of um, his authority going to cause a storm? Yes? Neptune. Neptune. Very good. And who was he in the Greek? Poseidon. Poseidon. Very, very, very good. Hmm. Hmm. Sophisticated question. 
The first Virgilian simile we see very like a Homeric simile, a long simile of description. What is Neptune compared to when he calms the winds? The winds are compared to the rabble, to a mob of people. But what is Neptune like rationality, stoic rationality compared to? Ah, he is compared to an orator, a great speaker, someone who is capable of using their mind and expressing their mind by means of reason through language, by speaking. Hmm, hmm. And which continent does Aeneas then find himself on after this storm? It is not the continent that he wishes to be on. Yes, it is Africa. Yes, it is Africa. Right. I believe it is the largest continent Africa is. Uh, on globes, you don't get the scale quite right. In any case, which continent is he trying to go to? <coughs> yes? Europe. Yes, exactly so. So he is quite a bit off course. And what is the name of the city that he is now going to that has just been founded? Yes? Carthage, and what is the name of the ruler of this city who recently had her husband killed by her brother? Yes? Dido. Very good, very good. And what was the name of her husband who was killed by her brother? Ah, it was Sicaius. And what was the name of her brother? Yes? It was Pygmalion. Yes, 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 yes. We're going to have to do some study before this next quiz, that's for sure. Ah, yes, and recall that the nymph who was offered in marriage by Juno to Aeolus in order for him to go against the will of Neptune and cause that storm was named Deopia. Deopia. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, moving on to the material for today. Ah, yes, we did talk a little bit about that. Ah, yes, here we are. All right, we recall that Venus talked to Jupiter up on Olympus, and Venus uh, chastised Jupiter. She said, Jupiter, is it the case that we will still, or the Romans, who will come from the Trojans, will still come to be and will become uh, uh, rulers of the entire world, unbounded by space and unbounded by time? Jupiter kissed her on the lips, called her Cytheria, and said, yes, of course, yes, of course. And he lays out their destiny. He says, Aeneas will come to this new land and will fight there for three years, and then after three years, in marrying and having a new child named uh, Silvus, I believe, will be the name of his second child. Um, then he will die under mysterious circumstances, and his son will move the capital from Latium, or Lavinium, as it will be called then, after the name of Aeneas' wife. Then it will be moved to Alba Longa for 30 years, or rather... After 30 years, it will be moved there, and it will stay there for 300 years. Then a priestess of Mars named, I believe her name is something like Illyria. I don't know if we get her name here. It's something like Ilion, in any case, will then lay with Mars, and she will have twin sons named Romulus and Remus. Remus will be killed by Romulus for jumping over the small wall of Rome, and Rome will become Rome, not Reem. In that Rome, there will be a line of people. Uh, Julius Caesar will be their main figure. After him, Augustus Caesar. And they will thus be descended from Aeneas, who is himself descended 
from Venus, who is herself descended from Jupiter, and thus the Romans will be descended from the kings of gods. And yes, Jupiter says, that will be happening. Do not worry. I'm very good about being the steward to fate and bringing that about. <clears throat> so, back on Earth. Venus approaches Aeneas disguised as a young warrior. This, of course, recalls to us the many times that who showed up to Odysseus in disguise? Yes? Athena, Athena now called? Uh, Minerva. Minerva, very good. And she says she's looking for her sister, some subterfuge here, or rather some, hmm, not so much subterfuge because it's not so bad a deal, but there's some misdirection. Aeneas says that she looks like a god, but doesn't quite get it. She then tells us of Carthage and of Tyr. Tyr is the city from which Dido came, the city that she was queen or princess of before her brother betrayed her and killed her husband. And so let's hear that story now. Dido was married to Sychaeus, wealthiest Sidonian landowner. But her brother Pygmalion, in secret, cut down Sychaeus. I think he actually poisoned him because of his lust for gold. Sychaeus then showed himself in a dream to Dido and told her two things. One, I was killed by your brother, so you must flee. And there is gold buried beneath did you already write this slide? Okay, make sure you're focusing. Make sure you're focusing. And that there is gold buried beneath the city, which you can use in order to fund the creation of a new city. You're going to have to pay these people who are going to follow you. Hard to get people to follow if you don't have any money to give to them, uh, especially if they're going to work for you. They sail to Carthage. They then begin to build. As we talked about yesterday, they're laying down their walls. They're laying down their, um, they're laying down their laws. They're generating judges. They are producing their harbor. They are making sure that they will be fully functional. Good. Good, 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 good. Alright, and we saw all this. Ah, now I see, I see. So, we then see Aeneas put into a mist. Very much like Odysseus was put into a mist when he first went to Scoria in order to get through the city of Alcanoas to Alcanoas' house. We see at the middle of the city a temple to Juno. That's some negative foreshadowing for us because, of course, which goddess dislikes the Trojans and is trying to destroy them. Juno. So Juno is at the heart of this city. That probably means that this city will be antagonistic to um, will be antagonistic to the Trojans. We also know, of course, from history that the Carthaginians are great enemies to the Romans who are the descendants of the Trojans. And so this is going to be a mythical explanation of the etiology of that conflict or the causes of that conflict. And so we get into this temple. And in this temple we see a fresco. A fresco is a large, long, extended piece of art which tells a story. And on this fresco we see several pieces that we saw in the Iliad and the time between the Iliad and the Odyssey. We see Agamemnon and Hector and Achilles. We don't like them very much. Uh, or rather, we don't like Agamemnon and Achilles because of course we're Trojans here and those are the leaders of the Achaeans. We see Hector and we're happy about that for a moment until we see Achilles dragging him three times around Troy. That makes us sad. We see Rhesus killed by Diomedes while still speaking. We see Troilus killed by Achilles. Recall that any extended description of art in literature is called ekphrasis. This is the first example of ekphrasis by Virgil, still in book one of his 12-book epic. Good. We also see, of course, the very last scene is Priam pleading. We will see Priam actually plead at the end of book two on 
Wednesday. Good, good, good. Ah, yes, and we also see Memnon and Penthesilea, who are, are both doomed to die, one to Achilles, and one also, both to Achilles, actually, both to Achilles. He kills both of them. Um, from the time between the Iliad and the Odyssey. All right, good, 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 good. So, from our cloud vantage point, our mist, we then see Ilionius, one of Aeneas' men who is separated from Aeneas, go to meet and request hospitality from Dido. We know that she has been prepared by Mercury to have a giving and hospitable spirit, and so she meets him nicely, and she says, okay, it's good to meet you. We have heard of you Trojans here. Obviously they have, because we've just seen a piece of art on their temple uh, figuring their story. And so she says... I can help you in whatever way you need. If you still want to go to Italy, which they call Hesperia, that means the land to the west, I'll send you there. If you would like to go to Sicily, which is an island off the coast of Italy, where a man named Acestes is king, who is friendly to the Trojans, I can send you there. And, of course, I meet a lot of people here. I'm still building a city. If you'd like to stay here, please do. Please do. Aeneas, seeing the hospitality shown to his men, by Dido, then feels comfortable enough to reveal himself, and he, like a dream, reveals himself from a cloud or from the mist in the same way that Odysseus had uh, to, what was the name of the queen of the Phaeacians whom Nausicaa told Odysseus to reveal himself to first and supplicate? Yes? Arate. In the same way that Odysseus supplicated Arate or stepped out from the mist and talked to her first, so does Aeneas here step out from the mist and speak to Dido. Aeneas then makes a, good faith, uh, makes a good faith gesture by sending for his son Ascanius, remember his name is Ascanius, sometimes called Ulysses, to come meet the queen. That said, some trickery is about to occur. Ah, uh, yes. Good piece of art here. Here's Aeneas looking rather arrogant, Dido looking sort of at the moment as if she's, uh, she's not so impressed by him. That will change very quickly. And this, this little baby with wings and a a bow and arrow. Very famous image. Probably a god that you know well from cartoons in the media these days. Which god do you know of from the Greek and Roman mythology? Who's often represented as a baby with wings and can shoot arrows that do not kill. But do something perhaps worse than that. Yes? Cupid. Cupid. And what is it that Cupid's arrows can do? They can make you fall in love. He also has a second sort of arrow that can make it so that you will never fall in love. And so what devilish thing can he do between two people? And this is very sad, something perhaps you will learn. He can make one person what, and the other person what? Yes, he can make it so that one person falls in love with another, but that the other person does not love the person who loves them. Very sad situation. In any case, that leads us to the theme of love, passionate love, Versus duty, responsibility. If you fall in love with somebody, is it your right to just up and uh, uproot your responsibilities? If, say, a figure like Aeneas, who is fated to start the Roman people, were to fall in love with someone like Dido and decide he doesn't want to go to Italy, and he doesn't want to fight anymore, and he just wants to stay in Carthage and live a normal life as a king with a normal queen next to him, is that his right? Well... The idea behind the Aeneid will be, absolutely not. If you have a responsibility to do something that you decided on and made an agreement in the past, 
You must fulfill that responsibility. Aeneas has a responsibility not only to his own men, but to his child, Ascanius, and to the future of the Roman people. And so, a major point that will be made here, a major Stoic point, is that even as overpowering and overwhelming as love is, one's first responsibility is to be responsible and to fulfill one's duties rather than to give in to one's own personal desire. We will see, uh, we will see the consequences of giving in to desire at the expense of fulfilling one's responsibilities as we go through book four, which will, um, which will show you the entirety of the relationship between Dido and Aeneas. Well, here's the beginning in any case. Venus doesn't just have the one son, Aeneas. She has many sons. She's often cheated on her husband, Vulcan, Hephaestus, in this text. She takes Cupid, who we know can make people fall in love, and she sends him down to the royal room where Dido and Aeneas are in the form of Ascanius. She makes Ascanius, Aeneas' son, fall asleep. And so she sends her son, morphed into Ascanius' form, in his place. He then causes Dido to fall in love with Aeneas passionately. It's like a super crush. It's not like, oh, I really appreciate you for who you are. She's noticing his build. She's noticing his beauty. She's noticing his story and his history. And she starts to hang on his every word. Oh, oh, Aeneas, tell me more. In fact, she will have him tell him the story of Troy not once, but many times. Because she just likes to listen to him what? Talk. <sighs> yes. Very good, very good, very good. An interesting sort of note here, too, is that one way that she acts in order to get our now single parent Aeneas to like her is that she has his son sit on her knee in order to show his favor towards her. I always think that that's a nice psychological detail. She goes through the son to get through the father. All right, here's a nice picture of that. You can see Ascanius there. I think this is a much better representation of the beauty of Dido and uh, the Italianness of, <laughs> of Aeneas, even though he's, of course, not an Italian. He's a Trojan. And there's his son, actually a two. Cupid, very good. Cupid or Eros. Good, 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 good. You see the leopard skins under her the, and the tiger skins under him. That was something that we knew that shepherds actually had to do. They had to keep big cats away from their flocks. Can you imagine having like a speaker and trying to keep a lion away? Ooh. Yeah, and you're like your age. That'd be tough. That'd be tough. All right. Dido begs Aeneas to tell the story of the fall of Troy. Wouldn't you want to hear that? Somebody was at the fall of Troy. They lost. They saw it happen. They got to see the heroes that defeated the Trojans. They got to see Ajax, Ulysses, Agamemnon, Menelaus. Of course you would. And that's what she asked for. And Aeneas says, I understand that you really want to see this story. And you want to hear this story. But man, does it cause me a lot of pain to tell it, because I lost everything on that day. But if you insist, I will tell you this story. It's very much like Odysseus telling Alcinous, oh, and not only Alcinous, but also his swineherd, Eumaeus, oh, I can tell you the story, but it causes me much pain to relive it. And so, starting book two, let's go back to Troy. Seven years ago, before it had fallen, before even... The Trojan horse was inside of it. So today we'll talk a little bit about Sinon, 
his terrible plan. We'll talk a little bit about the wooden horse, and I'll mention to you a very, very famous priest of Neptune named Laocoon. The Achaeans had recently stolen the Palladium, a statue of Minerva, Athena, from the Trojans. People were unsure. Of course, the Trojans, excuse me, the Greeks, the Achaeans, knew that in stealing the Palladium, that was one of the things they had to do in order to destroy Troy. So long as the Palladium remained in Troy, the figure of wisdom, Troy would never fall. And they knew this because they abducted, Ulysses abducted, one of the sons of Troy who was a prophet named Helenos. And Helenos, he pumped him for all the information he could, yes? Why did they have a statue of um, her if she was on the Achaean side? They didn't know. They didn't, nobody knows which gods are on which side. Only we knew because we had a god's eye view. But that said, the Trojans and the Greeks, they, they both worshipped the same gods. That's why it's so sad in Book 6 when Hecabe, the mother of Hector, prays to Athena for help. And who recalls what Athena callously did, yes? She looks away. She turns her head. Right. And you might see this as a symbol for when wisdom leaves Troy. When the benefit of wisdom leaves Troy, what happens to Troy? It falls. When wisdom leaves any civilization, what do you think happens to it? It's very easy for things to fall apart. It's very hard to keep things together. You need wisdom for that. That is the tremendous gift of humans, our logical ability. In any case, that statue had been stolen. And so the Trojans were not sure what the outcome of that would be. On the one hand... The Achaeans must have had some reason for doing it. On the other, they had despoiled and taken something from a temple of Minerva. Minerva might have been what at the Achaeans? Very angry. And so one day, oddly, the Achaeans are just all gone. And instead of them, there's a giant wooden horse. A wooden horse that we call the Trojan horse. Very good. Which is what uh, those terrible viruses... You will see, uh, what is the name of a terrible virus that secretly gets into your computer and then starts to destroy it? It's called a Trojan. That's right. And you'll see why soon. The idea behind this horse is that the Achaeans leave some men inside, and so they need the Trojans to do what with this horse? They need them to take it in. They need to, them to destroy themselves. As wisdom leaves, something that will corrupt and kill them will replace it. But think about it. You've been fighting against these dudes, fools, for ten years. And then there's a giant wooden horse in front of you? What are you going to think about that? Are you going to think, man, that's a really nice gift. We should definitely accept that. There's no trickery going on at all. Or are you going to think, dang, that's a really obvious trick. Let's destroy it. Obvious. Let's take a quick poll. Who thinks giant horse out of nowhere? Trick. Destroy. That's most of us. That's most of us. Who thinks... That's a really nice gift. Probably it's good. Right. Okay, so imagine that. Imagine that. These Trojans, they know the Greeks. They're not stupid. All of them, almost all of them, think we need to get rid of this horse. In fact, that's, uh, that's, what, we, uh, that's what we have here. We have one guy. We'll say that he's like our joke hand here, Thymoetes. He says, yeah, let's bring the horse inside. He might be a traitor. He might be treacherous. He also might be like a Dolon and mean he's pretty what? Stupid, not very smart, and unintelligent. There you go. But there's this guy named Capus who says, Oh, no, I can think of two things we might want to do with this horse rather than to take it into our 
uh, our city, our citadel. We could burn it, and if there's anybody inside, they'll what alive. And that'd be great, and be very useful for the Trojans, because Ulysses is in there, Menelaus is in there, Neoptolemus, the son of Achilles, is in there. I mean, it would be a major win. This is really a long, how do you say, this strategy is a real stretch by the Achaeans. And you all might, might be wondering, how do they get it so that that horse actually goes inside? There must be somebody who's really tricky on the Achaean side. They must spend such a story to trick the Trojans into this. And the answer, and, and I will say to you, they do. And that man's name is Sinon. Captain says, not only could we burn it, we could also just push it off into the sea. If there were anybody inside of the, the horse then, what would happen to them? They would drown. These are all very effective ways for getting rid of Achaeans. Either they die from the percussion of the fall, they drown, or they burn alive if you burn it. All good ideas. In fact, the priest of Neptune that I mentioned earlier, Laocoon, says, I fear the Greeks, and this is a very famous quote, I fear the Greeks even when they bring gifts. Line 70 of book 2. And then he very famously and unfortunately somewhat foolishly takes a spear. I think this is a good image of the Trojan horse and how majestic and large it would be. He throws a spear into the horse. And it wobbles. Hold that thought on him. Now, by this horse is a naked man in a kin. Why is he naked? We're going to find that out. Uh, and he, his name is Sinon, and he has been caught. I'll tell you a couple things that we know that the Trojans don't. He's a spy. And the whole story he's going to tell is fabricated in order to get the Trojans to A, trust him, and then B, take the Trojan horse where? Inside. So everything he's going to say is a lie here. There will be elements of truth to make it believable. Sinon almost strikes us entirely as who from the Odyssey, yes? Ulysses and Odysseus. And students often ask me whether he is actually Ulysses in disguise. Uh, physically, he can't be, because Ulysses is where at this moment? In the horse. But whether he was coached by Ulysses or not, <coughs> that is something worth speculating on. I would say it's almost undoubted that Ulysses spent all night prepping him before Ulysses had to go into the horse. And so, this is what he claims. He claims that he is an escaped prisoner from the Achaeans. And so if he's a prisoner of the Achaeans, whose side would he be more likely to be on? Achaean or Trojan? Trojan, of course. And he says that the reason that he was their prisoner was that he was unjustly imprisoned. Because you might remember, remember way back when at the beginning of the Iliad when I talked about how it was that Odysseus, Odysseus Ulysses first came to the Trojan War? Remember, he heard a prophecy that if he went to the Trojan War, he would only come back 20 years later, penniless and without a ship. And does anybody recall what the... I would be so impressed if anybody recalled this. Does anybody recall what the name of the man was who tricked Odysseus into coming to Troy by putting Odysseus' son in front of him while Odysseus was acting crazy and taking a scythe to his plants. So this man put his son in front, Telemachus, in front of Odysseus, and then Odysseus did what? Stopped cutting what was in front of him, dropped the scythe. That name, the man, his name was Polymedes. Remember that for bonus questions. 
And now, does anybody remember what Odysseus did to Palamides after being tricked by him? Because he hates losing. Yes? He told the Achaeans he was a traitor by burying treasure underneath the man's tent and bed and claiming that that was payment from Priam for his traitorous information and Agamemnon convicted him to death and he was stoned to death. Now, Sinon claims that he was a friend of Palamides and that he saw this happen. And so Ulysses needs to tie up unfinished business and needs to kill Palamides, so that, or excuse me, Palamides' friend Sinon so that nobody remembers what actually happened, so that he cannot be accused. Wow, very sophisticated, very sophisticated. In fact, the stratagem that Ulysses uses is to go get, what was the name of the first prophet of the Achaeans that we met all the way back in book one of the Iliad, who always gives bad news to Agamemnon, according to Agamemnon? No, not a prophet, yes? Calchas, very good. Supposedly, Sinon claims that Ulysses paid off Calchas to give a false prophecy, saying that in order to win the Trojan War, Sinon must be sacrificed and killed. That that was going to happen the very next day. Hmm. Hmm. But he escaped, he said. But he escaped. All right. All right. In the second part of the lie, and I guess I'll be reiterating some of this on Wednesday, just because it's very involved, is this. Ever since the Achaeans stole the Palladium from the Trojans, Minerva, Athena, has been angry at them. And so they knew after she turned from them that they could no longer win the war. And so what they needed to do was to build a giant horse in honor of the Trojans in order to placate her and then to sail on home. And that is the story that Sinon tells to the Trojans. And unbelievably, Priam believes it and will unbind Sinon, and will bring the horse in. Except for, there is one detail that I will tell you on Wednesday that I haven't told you yet. Something miraculous will happen that will make all the Trojans believe Sinon's lie. It will involve snakes, it will involve death, and it will involve Minerva. Yes? Do you know why they chose a horse out of all the animals? I do know why they chose a horse. A horse is the animal sacred to the Trojans because they breed horses very well, just like the Spartans. And so the reason that it's a horse is because that is supposed to honor the Trojans, not just Athena or Minerva. Good question. Excellent question. Excellent. You would imagine it would be like an olive tree or Athena if they were given that to her. Which is very interesting because if you think about the French, do you all know which statue the French gave to us that's so famous that we have? The Statue of Liberty. Right. You would imagine that that would be very similar in look to, say, a statue of Minerva. Excellent questions. All right. We'll finish this story and book two and this tale of tears on Wednesday.